Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. Just say no to family values. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic. I'm one of your co-hosts today, Pamela Bentley. And I'm your other co-host, Kevin Spenst, and our guest this afternoon is the wonderful, wonderful poet, Christopher Levinson, who's going to start us off with a poem. Okay, so I'm going to read Distance for Georgia Marbley. All year long, Winnipeg is primed for winter. At street level, lockdown. Nothing happens to hold the eye, nothing to tether the wind. A mile-long freight train slides out of sight behind the totem high-rises of bank and wheat board, the spaces between blocked in by vacant parallels, cool anonymity, in gold we trust. Not far from the newly opened Cathedral to Human Rights, where I must concentrate on Auschwitz, Armenia, I am distracted by news nearer home, a battered native woman's torso dredged from the banks of the Red River, one in over a thousand. In the Manitoba Museum, a host of artefacts, beadwork pouches, bison scapula made into squash knives, primitive masks of pain and apology, from stains tattooed into our past, safe behind plexiglass, now the mates are part of our heritage. Down by the forks, the disappeared are audible in the wind in the blown grass. Their memory wafts by in sweetgrass, tribal drums. But if words are medicine for them, they come too late. No woman is an island, every woman a piece of the continent, a part of the main that ancient inland sea. They are not high on our radar. After all, like the city's street plan, it's a matter of distance, perspective. The women are starting the long way home. What a powerful poem. Um, That was really remarkable. And what what stands out for me is the, the change in register and how, I mean, that poem has to be read again um, because it's so beautiful. And also the beginning, we kind of were arriving into Winnipeg as anybody might arrive. And then yeah. suddenly it just takes 
um, these very dark turns. But again, the shift of registers um, from Dunn, John Dunn, to the radar, which is such an interesting thing about the canon, and then suddenly something very contemporary. It was wonderful. I I never know whether people are going to pick up on on things. I mean, that was a pretty outrageous statement of Harper's, so I assume most people will, but you never know with with allusions in poems. Mm -hmm. And so there's the um, Museum of Human Rights that I believe is being referenced in the poem. Yes. So was the occasion of this poem uh, a visit to Winnipeg? Well, it was uh, three days visit to Winnipeg for the the Writers' Union AGM. It was about uh, two or three years ago. It was held in Winnipeg. So I I did all the usual touristy things. (laughs) There's not all that much to do, but I mean, I'd I'd been to the Falls before, but I hadn't been to the Museum of Human Rights, which had had only recently been opened. I remember when that, uh, that body was found, when that young woman's body was found, and um, I was reading recently about uh, Thunder Bay and the yeah and, and the, the young men and yeah. yeah and then so yeah. there was a uh, story last week of a young man who somebody they tried to grab him and put him in a truck and it seems to me like if this is happening all the time there's got to be a small group of people who are perpetrating these yes, tra- exactly. crimes who are yes. who are and it's and and it seems like the mo is the same right they. Mm-hmm. Make it look. Try to make it look like a drowning, and it's yes. often young people um, who are in care or who have come down from the reservation mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. counseling, mm-hmm. and so they're staying in care while yes. they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I mean in your poem, you you talk about you, you have the them right, like that this is their lives, and then you say an our 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 um, you sort of make a reference that it's divided from our world or yeah. or your world. Yeah. That's an interesting division as well, right? Because it's does it allow us to put it aside or does it make us more aware of it? I'm not sure. Well, it, it can do both, but I think what happens uh, with museums... I, mean, I wrote a, a poem decades ago, literally, about Bella Bartok uh, and, um, you know, one of the great things that Bella Bartok did was to... Uh, go around collecting folk music and you go to Romania or or, or Hungary as I did um, back then and uh, uh, people are going around with their transistor radios and so on and and the the folk music has all been taken over by musical ethnologists and it's all in museums. I mean museums sort of give us this sort of distance and and it depends how you want to to treat that distance whether uh, you want to try to over, overcome it and, and think yourself into the situation or, or whether you, you want to keep it so that you don't get too emotionally involved. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the po- process of, of writing that, were you taking notes while you were in Winnipeg <laughs> or was it something that just was it um, reco- recollected in tranquility? Well, not exactly. I, I, I knew, I mean, I went there, I think, in the second of my three days and, and I when I was going round, I, I was certain at the um, Museum of Human Rights, I was noticing certain things. And the following day, I went to this other museum, what's it called, the Muse- Manitoba Museum or something anyway, uh, where they have the, the various uh, um, Métis and other uh, First Nation artefacts. And 
and of course reading about the this woman that had just been found in the, in the Red River, uh, and um, I got the sense that you know there was a poem here. I didn't know how it would work out, but uh, I, I was taking jotting down odd lines and so on. We learn um, the most of the indigenous writers that I know. This is something that they are up against, right? Like that the idea of being artifacts and they're like no we're still mm-hmm. here we're not yeah, just in right. museums right. and that ethnography that you're talking about you know when um, I did learn about mm. First Nations people when I was in school mm. yeah. but it was from that sense it was like archaeology it was yes, like how does the right. longhouse system work yes. in, uh, with in the, potlatch and in the, the Mohawk yes. yeah I yes. didn't learn about m- potlatch because this That's was the West Coast it, yeah it was yes. part of the well it was in Calgary but it was uh, the, the um, textbooks had the whole mm-hmm. Mohawk system mm-hmm. as the kind of example of this archaeology and and then you know that there are still Mohawks alive so mm-hmm. as a kid you're trying to figure this out like is this the same mm-hmm. so it creates that kind of museum artifact yeah, type right. thing when it's like they're still here we're still here and then as right. soon as we talk about them like they and our then then mm-hmm. it becomes clear that I mean we're three white people sitting in a radio studio talking about this right yeah and right. writing uh, and, and in this case writing poems about it which makes Jordan Abel's win so remarkable for a book that deals with you know witnessing or yeah witnessing the kind of um, sawing up of totems that kind of are part of his ancestry and seeing parts of those totem poles in a museum Mm -hmm. place of scraps and then engine where he takes where the Mm -hmm. word shows up yeah and then, I mean, it, it's it's a, a book that you can't really read out loud, but on the page, it like has such power because it's like this is how this word is used mm-hmm. in literature. I mean, mostly pulp fiction, right? Written by white writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so this book is from. I mean, that poem is from. What is the book? Tell us about the book that you're reading from. Christopher <coughs> it's called. <Robinson. laughs> it's called a tattered coat upon a stick. And if you know your Yeats, you'll recognize the line as from Sailing to Byzantium. And let me just quote the four lines. An aged man is but a paltry thing, a tattered coat upon a stick, unless soul clap its hands and sing and louder sing for every tatter of its mortal dress. So is this book you singing loudly? Are well, you, I, hopefully, yes. Or is somebody yes. else the Because I don't think of you as a tattered man. Well, I don't think of myself a as a tattered coat, really, either. But, I, I mean, you know, there's, there's what you're aware of and the way people see you and so mm-hmm. on. And, and uh, um, <clears throat> I don't know how, how people see me, but certainly I, I do feel that. I mean, I, I've written uh, a number of poems about growing old. I mean, you know... Uh, you, can't uh, you can't really not write them when you're aware of it right. but uh, um, I, I I don't feel I'm ready to be sort of dismissed yet right. so th- how many books is this for you this is my 12th wow, you're so prolific wow. are you more well, this is prolific? A long, I, I'm, I, I'm old well, for God's sake you've had lots of time I'm sorry. it's not as impressed okay so I'm not impressed at all actually no I'm not impressed at all I wanted to ask are you have you always been fairly steady producer of poetry? Then we'll say that rather than All that you're right. prolific. Yes. Okay. Or is it more so uh, now that you are retired and does that give you more time to be prolific yes. or productive? I'm not sure. I mean, in a way, I, I, 
you know, I think of the Victorians, a lot of the more successful Victorian poets had far too much time and wrote far too much, <laughs> you know. So I, I don't think it's just a product of, of being retired now, although, I mean, it, sure, it does help, but uh, it's still uh, um, a sort of winnowing process to get the ones that will sort of fit together and make a book, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I think maybe I, I am writing more now, but mm. I, don't, I don't know. Let's hear another yeah. poem. Let's hear some of this writing more. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to read... Uh, I, I wrote a... Um, well, in fact, you interviewed me about a very uh, sort of instant rare book, Getting to Know You, about uh, coming to Vancouver and getting to know the city. Uh, and uh, maybe I'll just read a little bit of the the title poem there. That was the ones with the lithograph uh, uh, the lithographs or Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that only had thirty copies and, yeah, and it's <laughs> beautiful <laughs> book. Unlimited. Yeah. Okay, so I'll just read um the first uh, verse paragraph of Getting to Know You. For my wife, a native of Dublin, it was the wrong ocean. All the same sea smells, kelp foghorns, the whole bit that we both had between our teeth as kids. Even the fragrance of rain is restored, lends us new life. For the first time since the 60s in Bristol, I wake to ship's horns. Little by little, the city reveals itself in shortcuts, hidden neighbourhoods uncovered. So I learn to cherish and praise places on earlier visits I hardly noticed. That communal garden on Cyprus, where long before my time here, train tracks ran, and now great gushers of forsythia daze the eyes. How many winters will pass before I tire of these abrupt vistas of the coastal mountains, the sea heaving below me, leaving me stunned at my strange belonging here? I'll, I'll leave it at that, but this is just the, the opening poem of a, of a sequence uh, of poems about dis- d- different aspects of Vancouver. And have you tired of it? You no, said, I haven't. How long no, until absolutely, I, 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 I haven't. I, I don't think I'm ever going to tire. And, you know, we now ha- we were renovicted last year and had to move from uh, mm. um, near Stamps Landing on False Creek up to Carysdale. But um, one of the main advantages of our new place apart from the fact that we have a cross draft now which we didn't before we got pretty baked in the summer is that on a on a fine day you've got a view not just of of one or two mountains but the whole range you know mm. which is mm. lovely yeah and so i i don't think i'm ever going to tire of that and when did you what, remind me again what was the year that you moved here we moved to, well it's almost 10 years ago now we moved in august 2007 okay and um the thing that you described there, the Cypress Garden, those are now gone. Yeah, I know. I like mean, things change. I mean, they were there for decades, I believe. Yes. And then... You know, I mean, one of the, the phrases that I, uh, keeps on running through my mind is safe as houses. Well, mm. <laughs> nothing is uh, safe about houses, whether they're commercial or, or, or private or whatever, you know, and... and, and uh, in the time I've been here, uh, I mean, first in Kitsilano and then now up in Kerrisdale, you see places changing within a matter of months, and, and it's very easy to forget what was there before. Mm-hmm. 
But you okay. certainly have captured it. Yeah. The great gushes of Forsythia daze the eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This language is so memorable. It really jumps off the page. Well, well, thank you. Beautiful. I mean, actually, that is, that is one of my criteria for good poetry. I mean, that it be memorable. I mean, I know by heart piles of Yeats, which I didn't deliberately memorize, but just because it is memorable, mm-hmm. you know. And it doesn't have to be sort of... Uh, um, regular rhythm meter or anything like that. I mean, you know, from from the wasteland, uh, Madame Sesostris, famous clairvoyante, has a bad cold, nevertheless is known to be the wisest woman in Europe with a wicked pack of cards. I mean, I didn't deliberately (laughs) learn that. It just sort of stuck, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm You're listening to Christopher Levinson, who is our guest today on Wax Poetic on Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5. FM. Let's hear another poem. Okay, so this one is also about Vancouver, it's from the Vancouver Suite, but uh, it's in the public library and it's dedicated to John Donlan, who used to work there, who's another poet, a local poet. Um, <clears throat> and in fact, I want to, to read two poems about the public library. This is, is ironic, but basically serious and the other one is a a takeoff at 10 a.m. sharp they rush in shelter salvation the man on the street can find here a place to retire from the world a safe house warm hideout without the prayers browsing these catacombs eyeing the stacked tabloids as possible blankets they learn to share their silence with other denizens Serious scholars addicted to medieval arcana, hermits surviving on a few footnotes per day, or a Karl Marx wannabe picking at his beard, his nose, his filing cards. And, of course, school kids researching, say, Homer's oral tradition on the internet. Yet, (laughs) Yet despite the stark cubicles of light... This is no skeleton. At closing time, they emerge note-perfect, stifling yawns as from a living body. (laughs) And um, then the the, the second one, not necessarily about the VPL, but could be any library, and I, I love reading this when I'm invited to read at a library. It's called Love Among the Tomes. And, and one of the things about this book, I have a section called Scherzo, uh, which is all the, the funny poems that I've never managed to get into magazines before. Uh, what is the section called? Scherzo. Okay. Yes. Love Among the Tomes. Explore me between the covers, gently press back my spine. Though I've had other book lovers for a month, you'll be only mine. Linen-bound, paperback boxed. What matters is what's inside. Though my corners are slightly foxed, as you see, I have nothing to hide. Seeking knowledge or release? Just open me where you will. Linger over my frontispiece. Praise my 12-point Baskerville. And your darkest fear, your dearest wish, I'll conjure up all by myself through card catalogue and microfiche. Just don't leave me on the shelf. So deface my purple passages, underline me in felt pen, annotate my anatomy, take me out again and again. 
but though I fulfil your fantasy, I can never belong to you, and you've handled me so roughly. Now I'm two months overdue. <laughs> I love the hold system. I wonder how that would work in that um, that extended metaphor, that analogy. I love putting holds on things, you know. It's like, but it's okay. I, I put a hold on something the other day, and it was like, you are 139th in line on 10 copies. Yeah. So... You know that you know that that that's going to be experienced by the time it gets to you. Oh yes, right. It's going to be very juicy and uh, well used. Yes, right. <laughs> that's uh. great. So um, that's very playful. Do yes. you, and is there a, that whole section? Is that very? They're playful? all sort of playful uh, um, poems. Yeah, just to uh, uh, you know, make sure people know that. I have got a sense of humor. <laughs> I know you do. Um, do you, um, so you launched this back in April, at the beginning yes. of April. Yes. And where can people get it? Who's it published by? It's published by Quattro in Toronto, and it's uh, available at, uh, at your local bookstore, I hope, you know. I mean, uh, I, I know one or two that uh, certainly stuck it. I'm not, I, I haven't checked up how many. Is that your regular publisher? Um well, do you have a regular publisher? <laughs> I wish. I mean, uh, I've only uh, no three t- three times out of the uh, so six books out of the twelve, I've had uh, a publisher do two books, you know, mm. of mine, um, and then and then one of them, uh, uh, you know, they they go out of business or something like that. Right. Not because, but just yeah. it happens. You know. <laughs> um, uh, and. Uh, so I had Mosaic did two books uh, for me, and uh, uh, this is my second book with Quattro. And my my second and third book and books in the UK were were published by Chatto and Windus. And, and but then there was no point in having a an English publisher who was living in Canada and was obviously going to continue living in Canada. Right. So. And what happens to books when a publisher goes out of business? Um, does somebody else take over their well, catalog? Or it, it depends. I mean, I think that happened with um, uh, what was the the local uh, publisher that Raincoast? No, no, it wasn't Raincoast. Uh, New Leaf, but New Leaf? No, no. New Leaf uh, is no. still in. Um, oh gosh. Anyway, they they uh, um, one publisher was taken over by another. I I'll, I can't remember mm-hmm. the name. And then they just took over their catalog, or I, I, and they took over most of the catalog. Yes, or all of the catalog. I'm not sure. And on the other hand, uh, um, uh, Bouchet Books that in in Ottawa that published uh, a book of mine in 2000, uh, they've now ceased publishing, and I was given the option of buying some copies at, at oh, nice. dirt cheap, you know, and the rest are going to be pulped, unfortunately. Oh. When you have done 12 books, because you have the perspective to answer this question, in your case, does it get easier? Does it get harder? How has the process changed? Do you still enjoy it just as much or more? Or <laughs> uh, Yeah, enjoy. It's not quite the word. <laughs> um I mean, certainly with, uh, with the Quattro books, uh, the editor was one of the, uh, uh, well, it started off with four people, Quattro, that was hence the name, but uh, uh, by the time they got to me, it was down to two, and one of them was Alan Breesmaster, who, who was a terrific uh, editor. 
And sometimes I got frustrated because he, he seemed to be too terrific an editor, you know, and I I couldn't get as excited as he was about where hyphens should be or, or so on. But uh, he was a very good editor, nevertheless. Uh, and it was it was interesting working with him. But but it 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 is a, a, a sort of somewhat wearying process going through the various uh, um, versions and and looking for tiny little. Uh, Evers and so on. Can you take us back to your first book? So, the publica- how did you feel leading oh, up to the publication of your first well, book? Well, uh, my first book, <laughs> um, I was very lucky uh, because uh, I sent in a manuscript for um, to uh, Aaron Spottiswood. I mean, you can't get more establishment than that in a way. Aaron Spottiswood in, in England uh, published the uh, the official version of the Bible, you know. I mean, they do a lot I of other I'm things gonna, too. I think I'm just going to send this to the official publisher of the Bible and hope for the best. <laughs> no, no, what, what happened? <laughs> so is it included in the Bible in England? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's like a psalmist. No, no. no, yeah. Um, no, what what happened though? That there was a um, a competition, uh, and the the person uh, editing was Edwin Muir. I don't know, and uh, I, I met him a couple of times subsequently, and he he was a very good poet, and 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 uh, he was going to select three first manuscripts, and mine was one of the three, and so my first book was called In Transit was a third of this book called New Poets 1959 oh, okay. oh. and then uh, um, subsequently I, I, I submitted this plus a few extra poems to uh, I think called the Eric Gregory Award and that was the first time it was being awarded and uh, the judges for that and I, I actually won it you know um, and the judges for that were T.S. Eliot and Henry Moore mm. and Bonamy Dobray. <laughs> so I wow. met, I, I met, uh, mm. met them all, you know, when they when they gave me my prize money. Wow. And uh, Eliot, uh, um, you, you know, you you think I, I've written a poem about this. I, I don't think I have it to hand, but uh, you think when you meet famous people, well, they'll say something profound. Well, of course, they they, they don't. I mean, T.S. Eliot told me about how to avoid having to pay tax on this thing. Um, <laughs> well, it's profound. <laughs> <laughs> and Henry Moore, because I, I, I decided already that I wanted to go to Yugoslavia with the money, um, uh, and it was the first year that you could actually go to... to oh. Uh, um, oh, no, no, sorry, that's wrong. It was 1954 was the first year. But I'd been there for, uh, briefly, and I wanted to go back for longer, and I went for five months. Uh, and um, uh, Henry Moore said, well, if you're going to split, you must go and see the the the, uh, the work of Ivan Mestrovich. There's a, a museum outside split w- with his huge wood sculptures, and I, I, I did that, and I was very grateful for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I sort of met other people. I met E.M. Forster, and and uh, he we we were talking about the rail service from Cambridge to London. You know, I mean, <laughs> doesn't get much more banal than that. It's all very useful information. Then. 
So we're almost out of time. Oh, do you gosh. have time to read? Uh, can, do you have another poem that we have time to get in here before oh, yeah. we have to wrap okay. up? All right. Yes, I've been babbling away. No, and, I love uh, it. Oh, I was wow, thinking sorry. that, you know, you, you were a professor. Like, while you were looking for a book, you were a professor for a really long time. And then, you know, you've met some of the people whose work you were teaching. Yeah. That's that, pretty cool. That, that, that's right. Yes. Um, what, what was I going to read? Yes. I think I'm going to end on a, a, a down note. I oh, mean, okay, I, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, Given what's going on in the world, who well, knows yes, what the news is going to tell us yeah. tomorrow? Well, this is this was personal news. This was somebody I knew, not as well as my wife, but uh, uh, we we knew uh, th- this man who who uh, finally uh, got Alzheimer's, and he was a, a lovely man, and it was just so sort of sad seeing. He was originally from Chile, and it's called Wraith. He sits as massive as the granite heads on Easter Island, smiling. This gentle dignity was how we'd always known him. He'd patiently explain some point in epidemiology, or watch his three granddaughters play, or remember Chile. To all of us, a wise and courteous man, Even before they moved him to the lodge, he would gaze all day down the well that was his life and hear no echo as our words splashed. He has become a child again, but mummified, too large and cumbersome. We drift like familiars through his waking dream. Now he's forgotten how to talk, even in Spanish. Though occasional sunlight infiltrates the clouds and he grows briefly lucid, mostly, like November leaves, his accomplishments fall away from him. He sleeps. Already, with no time left for the impossible farewell, there's nothing to be retrieved as the last red lamp at the end of his train of thought diminishes round a curve into forested dark. You've been listening to Christopher Levinson today, reading from his new book, A Tattered Coat Upon a Stick from Quattro. I'm Pam Bentley. And I'm Kevin Spence. Thank you very much for being our guest today, Christopher. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what? So what?